Welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Audio Podcast. One of my heroes in American history is Booker T. Washington, and this is the week of his, the anniversary of his birth, April 5th. And I wanted to read to you from my book on Booker T. Washington, Then Darkness Fled, The Liberating Wisdom of Booker T. Washington. Booker's become a, a rather controversial figure in American history. He, he's, uh, he was a man who believed that blacks would advance best having come out of slavery, you know, by, uh, by work and by character and by cleanliness and by Christ-likeness and values and things of that nature. And of course, what we are told ultimately won uh, kind of a place in American society for blacks was the battle for civil rights. And Booker T. Washington was kind of kind of suspicious of politics and politicians, and didn't think blacks should you know rely on on the promises of politicians or the intentions of courts. He thought the black man could wed himself to American society, white society, by being productive, by being good at things, by uh, prospering, by having money, by building good, strong communities. And, you know, the, the reality is that both of those perspectives really are true. In fact, in American history, W.E.B. Du Bois actually represents sort of the civil rights approach. Booker T. Washington sort of represents the, uh, the character and productivity approach. And those two are still battling each other uh, all throughout American history and certainly in our contemporary society. So, uh, but, but still, Booker is a hero of mine because he was a man who had a Christian message at a time when his people needed to hear it. Uh, he was, without question, by 1915, the most prominent black man in the world. Um, and he rose from a dirt floor cabin before the American Civil War, uh, again, to be one of the best-known black men and the most famous educators uh, in world history. So I'd like to read you just one little chapter from my book on Booker T. Washington, Then Darkness Fled, a title, by the way, that comes from a speech given about Booker uh, by Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., and uh, it's called The Real, and I think you'll get some sense of what Booker was like uh, and, and how I perceive him. Uh, this chapter, The Real, and here's the opening quote. We shall prosper in proportion as we learn to draw the line between the superficial and the substantial, the ornamental goo of life and the useful. Booker T. Washington. goo is not a word one hears frequently in the modern world. It was already passing out of fashion when Booker T. Washington used it in his speech at the Atlanta Exhibition of 1895. Almost any dictionary will say that the word refers simply to a showy trifle, but for Washington it meant much more. It captured for him everything that distracted his people from their best as a race. It was his enemy, his competition, and the evil he struggled to warn his people of. For Washington, there was a chasm between a goo and real life that was as wide as the gap between success and failure. It was this great divide that he sought to explain to his people, who seemed, in turn, unshakably mesmerized by the goo of their hard-won freedom. The reasons, though, are easy to understand. And oppressed people are forever forced to view civilized life from the outside. They gaze at the beauty and comfort of freedom like shivering travelers peering through an icy window at the warmth of a cozy inn. Every object and mannerism, each trapping that they associate with real life, is etched in in the memory and becomes for them the essence of what freedom means. One day, the oppressed tell themselves they will be like those within, possessing what they possess. What such dreams produced in his people broke Washington's heart. 
Rather than striving for the solid, down-to-earth goals of productive work, healthy families, functional homes, or skills that could bring greater prosperity, former slaves often spent what money they had on the mere trappings of prosperity. One of the saddest sights I ever saw in the South, Washington remembered, was a colored girl, recently returned from college, sitting in a rented one-room log cabin attempting day by day to extract some music from a second-hand piano when all about her indicated want of thrift and cleanliness. In his travels, Washington found grimy, dirt-floor cabins beset by every sign of neglect and yet adorned with showy clocks or unneeded sewing machines. He found unemployed men who spoke expensive cigars, families that spent their entire savings on an evening at the opera, and fathers who sported the latest fashion at the expense of their hungry children. Washington understood how such thinking imperiled his people, and he railed against the deception. It is with an ignorant race as it is with a child. It craves at first the superficial, the ornamental, the signs of progress rather than the reality. The ignorant race is tempted to jump at one bound to the position that it has required years of hard struggle for others to reach. The language was often offensive, but Washington knew that the stakes were too high for phrasing the matter gently. In their present state, American blacks were unprepared for the exercise of privilege, and this had to change. It was a matter of values. The opportunity to earn a dollar in a factory just now is worth infinitely more than the opportunity to spend a dollar in an opera house. He sought instead to anchor the vision of his people to the solid and the concrete. He hoped to break through the artificial in search of the real and to take his race with him. It was a distinction that marked him all his life. He did not like Wayland Seminary because the curriculum did not begin on a real, solid foundation. Besides, in Washington, D.C., he found a superficiality about the life of a large class that greatly alarmed me. The foundation of progress for blacks, he was sure, must be in truth and not in pretense. He despised the political aspirations of some of his people because they amounted to artificial forcing rather than the severe and constant struggle that would lift up his race. This focus on the real issues of life rather than the ornamental myth that sacrifices had to be made, and this was hard for a people for whom sacrifice had once been law. The first sacrifice was one of understanding. The symbols of wealth some blacks so admired had come only after necessities were acquired. This had to be understood. The second sacrifice was one of image. Most of the unwise spending among former slaves was designed to make them appear far more than they were. Humility and death to the opinions of others would have to reign if the people would ever prosper. Finally, there was the sacrifice of patience. His people bought fancy clocks before they bought shoes because they were unwilling to wait for the harvest that made pleasure possible. Slavery had made them feel that they, were, that they had already earned their privileges, and they wanted to wait no longer. Washington taught that this attitude only produced a second and more tragic slavery. Sacrifice and hard work, he assured, was the only road to lasting freedom. Seeing reality clearly and resisting shiny distraction are essential to the work of a leader as they are to the progress of a race. In Washington's time, unblinking focus on the ornamental and artificial threatened decades of poverty and generations of bondage. For some, unfortunately, these threats became reality. For others, Washington's message of the real of freedom from a trance-like preoccupation with show and image, meant a heritage of productivity and respect that forged a trail of freedom. 
It is a battle that each generation fights anew for itself and for those who follow after. So that's a reading of the chapter Real from my book, Then Darkness Fled, The Liberating Wisdom of Booker T. Washington. I think, as I've said before, that Booker T. Washington is an American hero. I think that even though he didn't have the full uh, strategy for black advancement, I think his ideas of productivity and blacks becoming valuable, not because whites made promises they might not keep, but because blacks themselves were prosperous, I think that was an important message. In fact, there's a case to be made that much of the African-American advance of recent decades, sure, it was on a basis of civil rights and that whole legal battle, but it's often because there are wealthy blacks now in America, because black personal income is rising, because there are phenomenally wealthy uh, African-Americans who are investing in their communities. So Booker T. Washington had a major piece of this. I want to urge you to get the book. Uh, there aren't very many books on him, believe it or not. Uh, so my book, Then Darkness Fled, again, that title from a speech by Martin Luther King Jr., uh, I think is, is uh, one of the better summaries of his life. And perhaps more important than just my book, just recognize Booker T. Washington as a major figure. And remember that April 5th, uh, is the anniversary of the date he was born. Maybe you can put that in your calendar and, uh, and do something significant on that day. Thank God for the life of Booker T. Washington. Stephen Mansfield is a New York Times bestselling author, a popular speaker, a frequent faith and culture commentator on CNN, Fox, and Huffington Post. His groundbreaking books on faith and society include The Faith of George W. Bush, The Faith of Barack Obama, The Search for God in Guinness, and Lincoln's Battle with God. You can learn more about Stephen at mansfieldgroup.com and connect with him on Facebook and on Twitter under the name Mansfield Writes. The Stephen Mansfield Podcast is produced by Isaac Darnell, who also wrote, performed, and produced the Rockin' and Rollin' podcast theme song. This is a Chartwell Literary Group production. 